Hey, it's Ian Altman. We're fortunate this week to be joined by my good friend, Michael Port. Michael is a seven-time best-selling author. He's the co-founder of Heroic Public Speaking. We're going to talk today about the biggest misconception people have about presentations. The difference between presenting and performing, five foundations for helping you communicate more effectively, and four elements for handling questions so you come across in the best possible light with your audiences. You're going to learn a ton from Michael Port. Michael Port, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? <laughs> well, so the audience may or may not know that I was an actor. And uh, I had a modicum of success, which means, you know, I had a, uh, uh, did a fair number of TV shows. And one of the shows that I was on was called Third Watch. It mm -hmm. was on NBC. It was about firemen and paramedics, cops. And I played a fireman on the show. Now, I wasn't an important character. I was, uh, I was the character that would be there to fill in a couple lines with the lead fireman before he had a more important uh, a scene to do with a more important character. And then I would go off and, and disappear. And I got killed on the show. It was, <laughs> it was really sad. I got killed. Now, that's not the thing that people don't know. What they don't know is I came back on the show with a different name. <laughs> and, and, when, and, when it ha and, when I, and when I got the script to come back, I said to my agent, I said, you know, they, I died on the, the last time I was there. It, and, and, and this character has a different name. It's kind of strange. And my agent just said, don't worry about it. Just show up. <laughs> just, <laughs> just show up. I said, okay, fine. So yeah, I had played two characters with uh, two different names on the same show. I love it. Yeah. It's like in the explanation, I'm sure someone said, worst comes worst, we'll say it was his twin brother. Well, we'll yeah, like work it, it into the plot I mean, line. Basic, basically, what, what we're getting is I was so unimportant on that show that I could come back after I died with a different name and it was not a problem. And nobody would notice. It's awesome. Nobody would notice. That's how unimportant I was. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and, and I'm sure many of my audience is thinking, man, I wonder if Michael's going to spend time explaining how to be resurrected on a TV show under a different name. <laughs> but instead, I've asked you here for what I know your greater expertise to be. Maybe not greater, but but um, certainly more impressive uh, to me. I, I, I hope greater. <laughs> Let's go with that. Certainly, certainly more impressive to me, which is the, the whole notion of presentations and how we come across. So for starters, what's the greatest misconception that business people have when it comes to presentations? I think in a sales context specifically is that either people have it or they don't, meaning – we often say, oh, well, you know what? They're really a natural, you know, they've, they've, they're charming. They've got the gift of gab, you know, the, the, these other people don't have it. Uh, and yes, yeah, certainly some people are more inclined to be, uh, performance oriented, but every single person who is willing to put in the work can become a better performer. And when I say performer, I mean somebody who is able to get people to change the way they think, change the way they feel, and of course, change what they do. Because, you know, as sales professionals, we're often in the job of changing hearts, minds, and actions. And in order to do that, we've got to be able to perform. 
Absolutely. And and it's fascinating because I've seen you work with people who, in, in fairness, even though we're taught by you not to be critical, I've seen people come on stage and if you pressed me to rate them zero to 10 at a given moment, I would have said, man, that was about a three. And 20 minutes later, I'd say, that's an eight. And in short order, you take someone who has the same persona, same same. Uh, you know, they're, they're the same human being, but they come across totally different 20 minutes later. Sure. And often it looks like magic, but it's not magic. It's craft. You know, we had a, a, another podcast podcaster named Jordan Harbinger came to one of our events once. Sure. He's a really lovely guy, um, but not easily impressed. And when he saw us uh, do what you're talking about in masterclass style, he thought, it was staged. He said, how does somebody go from being that ineffective to that effective that quickly? They must have staged this. And then he saw us do it again. He thought, I can't believe I flew all the way here from California and I'm watching these staged, uh, you know, uh, uh, performances. And, uh, and then when he saw the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one, he said, oh my God, it's, it's, it's not, you couldn't possibly stage this. There's no way. And of course we don't. The, the difference is, is that we have a craft that has been used for hundreds of years by professional performers that we've been able to reorganize, re-engineer for non-actors, for people who don't see themselves as performers. But if they learn even just some of the basics from for their content development, meaning how they organize their ideas and present them, and then the delivery of those ideas. And it's really, it's craft-based. So for us, it's completely normal. But for the first time that somebody sees it, it really can look uh, quite magical. And, and Michael, I've, I've, had the, I've had the great pleasure of working with you and Amy and the team at Heroic Public Speaking. So I get it. There's, there's certainly people who might be listening saying, so, so what am I supposed to like break into show tunes when you talk about performance? <laughs> yes. And I that's know that's exactly not, what you do. And I know that's not what you mean. So give us some insight into what you mean in terms of performance in the context of business presentations. Sure. So first of all, how are we organizing the information? Like from the get-go, if you have a business presentation, how do you organize that information? Well, most people will, will, will put together a slide deck. You know, they'll say, well, I could put these words on this slide and put these words on this slide. Uh, and then, you know what, I'll use that slide deck, uh, you know, as my notes and, uh, you know, it can just cue me. And then I'll, I'll just wing it inside in between each slide. And, you know, I won't forget. I mean, I'm not going to remember what comes next, but I'll look at the slide and that'll tell me. And, and, you know, I think I'll rise to the occasion because I'll be pumped up. You know, I'll be really uh, energized. And in the military, they say, you will not rise to the occasion. You fall back on your training. So you're generally not going to be better during a live presentation than you were during whatever rehearsal you did. So if you didn't do much rehearsal, uh, I don't know how you'd have high expectations for what you're going to do during the performance. And if you did some rehearsal, but it wasn't particularly effective, meaning the work you were doing in, in rehearsal wasn't particularly effective, then it's unlikely that what you're going to do during the, uh, during the business presentation will be more effective than that. So, for example, we have something that we call the foundational five. Uh, 
And it's very, very simple to structure almost any idea using this particular construct. So number one, what's the big idea behind your presentation? Now, a big idea doesn't have to be different to make a difference, but a big idea needs to be important and interesting to the people in the room. And let me and let me interrupt for a second because I want to make sure that people catch that, which is the big idea has to be important to the people in the room, meaning that if you're the one presenting this idea to others, the big idea is not that you want to sell something to them. <laughs> the, <laughs> no. the big idea for them is, hey, my understanding is that in your organization, you're facing these challenges and you're trying to get to this other place where you're much better off. That could be the big idea. But purchasing whatever it is you're selling is an incidental part of the story, not the not the focal point of it. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, yes, and I'm going to reframe that slightly. So the big idea is the way you see this particular issue. It's the it's the angle that you take. It's your worldview. And if your worldview on a particular issue is just like everybody else's worldview how are you going to be more interesting than any of the other people that have come before you? Sure. So it needs to be true for them. It needs to be interesting and important. So, you know, let's just take Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech. Obviously that's not a business presentation, but it's a, it's a wonderful example because most of us are familiar with at least some aspects of that speech. So the big idea is that all men and women are created equal. Now, th that wasn't a new idea, but it was a very big idea for that time uh, and for most of the people that he was trying to reach. So he built his presentation around that big idea. And then he made a promise. And that's the second element of the foundational five. He made a promise. He said, we can get to the promised land meaning where all men and women are created equal. And every single presentation needs to have some kind of promise. And so the promise is generally, from a sales perspective, the return on investment that they're going to get. Clearly laid out so that anybody can re-articulate it. And the return on investment is often going to come uh, in the form of uh, financial benefits, emotional benefits, physical benefits, uh, and maybe even spiritual benefits, depending on, you know, what it is that you're sure. offering. So if you have a big idea and you can make a very clear promise, the third element, and this is what you referenced earlier, the third element that's critically important is being able to demonstrate what the world looks like now. Because if we can't do that for the people that we serve, then they don't think we understand them. And if we don't, if they think we don't understand them, all the fancy footwork in the world is probably not going to help. Absolutely. So, yeah. so if you have a big idea and a promise and you can articulate, demonstrate, illustrate the way the world looks to the people in the room as it relates to your big idea and the promise that you're making, then the fourth element is being able to demonstrate the consequences of not adopting the big idea. And, you know, this is often where we're hitting the pain points. And then the fourth element 
are, of course, the, the rewards. Fifth, the fifth element, right? of, yeah, of rewards. Oh, excuse me. The fifth is the rewards of adopting the big idea and achieving the promise. Now, you know, most people in sales would say, well, yeah, you know, we, we, we definitely talk about the, the features and the benefits and, um, yeah, you know, we try to hit the pain points, but very rarely do they take the time to organize their ideas, uh, using this kind of structure so that they can deliver anywhere, anytime under any condition to the people that they're trying to reach. And especially from a training perspective. So, you know, if, if, if you're running a, a sales team or you're running a sales organization, one of the most difficult things to do is to train the people that you are bringing in who are coming to sell what your company offers. And this is, this is a struggle that, you know, um, leaders have been having for years and years and years. And the, the, the better we can, the better we can organize the critical ideas that our salespeople need to introduce, the easier it is for them to do so. So we just can't assume that, oh, yeah, yeah, all, our salespeople understand, you know, all these things. They, they just get it and they'll, they'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to just speak to it off the cuff. But if we give them these kind of tools, and this is just one of the, you know, many, many tools that we've designed to be used for presentations, well, then they can always do it the right way, in the same way, every single time. If you don't already have your copy of the new Same Side Selling 2nd Edition, the one with the red cover, then visit samesideselling.com or go to any place books are sold. And if you do already have your copy, I would be amazingly grateful if you took the time to post an honest review on Amazon. It's a great model, and in fact, for my listeners who are familiar with and have seen me speak, as many of them have, just to kind of illustrate how this all ties in together, if you think about my keynotes, for example, or the talks that I give, it often starts with, hey, we need, to, we need a more modern approach to the way we develop business. It's all integrity-based. So that's kind of the, the big idea of what I'm conveying. Then it's a that's matter right. of the promise is that, look, if we do that, here's the, here's the outcome that you can get. So we can get there, and there's a way to do this. And I'll often demonstrate by showing examples of here are other companies that have taken this approach and where they've gotten to. And then we say, so if you do it this old way, you come across as pushy. People don't want to talk to you. You don't get honest conversations. And so when that happens, we end up in an adversarial position with our clients. But, gee, if we do it this way – we shorten sales cycles. We shift the focus from price to value, and now people can see that. The challenge is I think that for a lot of people when they're presenting their businesses, they don't think of those pieces all connected together. So they, it's all disjointed, and then when they go to present to a client, they're relying on the client assembling all those dots together, and it usually ends up in a clouded picture. That's right. We really can't make that assumption. It, it, we forget how much we know about what we sell and that most people that we're speaking with have a fraction of that knowledge. And if we you know, operate under that assumption, then we're going to lose a lot of deals 
because we're not helping them connect the dots. So connecting the dots is an important concept because what that what that does is it creates what we call a through line. Every 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 character in every TV show or movie that you watch, uh, you know, other than maybe some of the um, less sophisticated uh, programs, uh, has a through line, and and then we're able to follow that character's journey. And we want to create that kind of through line for the people that we're attempting to introduce to what we have to offer. And then, of course, getting them to buy it. And so we're connecting the dots for them along the way. And it's really quite important. And there's something else that you mentioned that, that, is, uh, that you do that's really quite effective. When you say, listen, we need a more modern approach to sales. Many of the people in the audience are going to say, yep, that's right. We do. That's right. Because what we're doing now is not working as well as I think it could. And we seem to be getting left behind by uh, some of our competitors. And when you get an audience member or when you get, uh, you know, a prospect to say, that's right, then you got them. Yeah. As opposed to you're right. Yes, because what do you what are we usually really saying when we say yeah yeah you're right you're right yeah oftentimes it means, it's it's dismissive it's like yeah, yeah, yeah it right, means like, okay yeah. shut up I don't want to hear anymore I'm done uh, that's it fine 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 I get I get it I get it you know our kids do that to us like dad you're right you're right fine you know I understand but if we can get them to say you know what that's right it becomes their idea sure. not just our idea and together we're sharing it. And if they threw out a presentation, keep saying, yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Then by the end of that presentation, you, you don't need any clever closing tactics. You got them. Yeah. And, and Michael, one of the things that I think is fascinating is in this model that you've put together, it started with, gee, how do we help performers and speakers better communicate? And now you've evolved where – you're expanding that where now it's people who are in virtually any business yep. on That's how right. they can be way more effective. And I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant model because it's desperately needed, but what are some of the things that companies have maybe tried to do in the past that haven't been producing the results for them? So I'll, I'll say this, you know, we work with some of the biggest brands in the country. So we have a consumer division and we have a corporate division. And on the consumer side, we work with, you know, lots of the very, very uh, high-level speakers like yourself uh, and others who are moving into that arena, uh, astronauts, Navy SEALs, Olympians, et cetera, people with, you know, some special uh, type of backgrounds. And then on the consumer side, we work with companies like Guardian, Best Buy, uh, Disney, uh, and many others. And they're bringing us in for different reasons. But one of the reasons they'll often bring us in is because they want the best ideas to win. Not just the best pitches. Now, this is for internal purposes. This is not just for sales. But for internally, when you've got an organization and you're trying to get the best ideas to the forefront of the uh, the C-suite's minds, well, you know, usually the people who come in with the best pitches are the ones who are going to get it. They're going to win. And so but that doesn't mean the best idea is the one that's going to win. And so sometimes the best ideas are actually left on the table. But if we can get everybody presenting 
at a really, really high level, then the best ideas are the ones that are ultimately chosen, acted on, and that makes a big difference long term. Yep. And I, I want to make sure that our audience picks up on something that may not be so obvious, which is so Michael right now is talking about internally what these big companies said is, hey, look, we know that the people with the best presentation skills are often influencing our team to pick their project over another project, not because that's a better project, but because it was better presented. So they're trying to level the playing field so everyone is presenting at a world-class level so they can actually evaluate each project or each initiative on its own merits. That's exactly what, right. What I want people to realize is that – so now take this into the world of selling. Take this into the world of recruiting. Take this into the world of you know, a senior executive presenting to shareholders or to other people. And if your so-called competitors aren't at that level and you are at that level, then you may not have the best employment opportunity for somebody. You may not have the best hands-down offering for a client. But when they walk out of the meeting with you, they say, you know what? There's just something about these people that I want to work with. Yeah, you don't want you don't want your competition to beat you because they're giving better presentations than you. It's frustrating if you if you think you've got a better product or a better service and you're losing deals because the your competitors are just doing a better job of presenting their ideas, that's a shame. That's disappointing because it would be wonderful it would be wonderful to live in a world where the best ideas, the best products and services always got attention and always won. That's not the world in which we live. We live in a world that is very, very uh, driven uh, by emotional gut reactions. And people don't always make decisions uh, based on you know, logic and, uh, and facts they'll often make a decision based on how they were moved emotionally. And so if you can come in and you can present in a way that moves people emotionally, well, you're going to probably stand out. And uh, if you've also have the better product, well, then it just makes it even easier to continue to dominate in your marketplace. Yeah, of, of course. And it's something that I think everybody can be listening right now and say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's totally right. But my guess is before listening to this discussion, they're probably thinking to themselves, man, we lost another deal and I don't know why it is. And I feel like we really have a better solution than these competitors we're losing to. I feel like we've got our act together better than our shareholders and our board um, give us feedback on. I feel like we have a better offering for this candidate we're trying to hire than somebody else. But for some reason, we're not connecting with them. Yeah, and so that is exactly right. I mean, even if you even if you didn't have a better product, even if all things were equal, so you know, there's three different companies selling the exact same thing. The the company that's going to win the business is the one that makes the better connection with the buyer. And so this is something that we can affect, that we can do something about. And in fact, especially for the sales team, the sales team in a large organization may not have a lot of influence over the products. Sure. What they have influence over is how they behave, what they do, how they move people. And that's something that they can 
improve and they can improve on it quite quickly. And, and what I what I love and what you've put together with the team at Heroic Public Speaking is that it's not and, – and, and people should know that this is – Michael and I know each other because I've paid to be part of their programs and I genuinely believe in what it is that you do. So it's not like – you know, somehow you've sponsored my podcast and you're on here, people need to recognize that it's kind of the inverse, which is, man, there's stuff that you do that I think is so valuable that I pay to be exposed to it. What I love is that no matter who it is, whether it's a professional speaker, whether it's an executive, whether it's someone in sales, people on the on a project side, you're giving people a structure and a system that they can apply. This isn't just creative direction. This is Here's a methodology you can follow yeah, it's to process, give a better performance every single time. Yeah, it's process. Do, do you know, if you have a process for improving something that is important to you, then you can continuously improve that thing. But if you, if you don't and if you just think that somehow miraculously you're going to get better at something, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, and look, here's the thing. Very rarely, as I said at the beginning of the you know, conversation, do people spend much time rehearsing their presentations. And one of the reasons that people often resist rehearsing is because it's uncomfortable. You, have, you really need a lot of humility to rehearse because while you're rehearsing something, most of what you're doing is not working. But the rehearsal process is designed to give you an opportunity to try different things, to make different choices. And then you choose, you stay with the choices, you keep the choices that are most effective. But if you don't have that period of rehearsal where you are trying lots of different things that you feel are going to change the way people think, feel, and act, then how do you come up with them? Just in the moment? I, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, it certainly, you know, in the moment we might, you know, pull out a, a great story that we've never told before and somehow we tell it in a way that's just absolutely brilliant. It but can happen. It can happen, <laughs> certainly. Uh, or you could ramble on for 25 minutes uh, and, you know, leave them completely confused or bored, uh, you know, or indifferent and certainly you don't want to be in that situation. So one of the things we do, uh, here's a couple other things that, uh, that we do and that folks can do really uh, quite easily. They can do them right now is we know as salespeople that there are certain questions we get regularly. And, and sometimes people in sales think of them as objections. Here, well, okay, here are the objections that we're going to get and here's how we're going to answer them. And they answer them with information. But what if you had a story that you could tell every time you got a question about X or Y or Z, you had a different story for each one of those, a story that, that offered a way to see the situation in a different light so they can make an emotional connection with the change that occurs for the characters in that story. So they can relate. They can see themselves in it. You would be much more effective because we know that humans respond to stories much more than they do information. 
they, they won't remember most of the information that they give you, but they'll, you know, they'll remember stories. Absolutely. So, so there are probably 10 questions that you get on a regular basis. Do you have a story sculpted, molded for every single one of those questions? So that's one thing we do when we go in and work with our clients is we come up with brilliant stories from their own lives, um, you know, from current events, from historical events that they can then memorize and rehearse. And then when they tell them, it seems like they're off the cuff and it's happening for the very first time. And that's that's what you want in any kind of performance. So that's one thing that you can, and, you know, additionally, A lot of times salespeople present with another salesperson or with another, there could be three or four different people presenting. And sometimes what happens is they talk over each other. Uh, they miss something because two of them thought that they were going to address the same thing. One of them forgot. One of them didn't get the notes beforehand going in. So they missed, you know, uh, the backstory and the history of that relationship. And again, they don't give much time to it. So one of the things we often do with uh, organizations where they do a lot of co-presenting, uh, co-pitching, co-selling is work on how you do that together, how you assign roles to each person, what role, what kind of role should each person take based on their own way of being, their style? How do the dynamics work between the different people who are presenting? There are a lot of questions that come up that need to be addressed uh, and if we're not paying attention to them, we're, I think, just hoping uh, that it'll work out. And when we lose a deal, it's often because that's that's where we failed. That's where we fell down. And I think the great misconception people have is, gee, if I rehearse too much, it's not going to seem natural. And the reality is the exact opposite. I remember as a college student, I was obsessed with the magic of David Copperfield. Yeah. And I remember going to see Copperfield perform – at this place that wasn't too far from my school and thought, man, it's amazing. And, and that little interaction he had off the cuff with that person, that was so cool. And then two weeks later, I saw him again. And amazingly, he had the exact same off the cuff <laughs> interaction. And then a week later, he had the exact same off the cuff impromptu interaction. And I realized, wait a minute, that's all scripted. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you, when you are prepared, and you're comfortable improvising, that's when you create spontaneity. But if you're not prepared and you're just improvising, you're usually creating chaos. <laughs> and if you're so well prepared that you don't improvise when improvisation is needed, well, then you do seem stiff and robotic. So it's the balance of the two things. But one of the reasons that sometimes people push back on the concept of preparation or rehearsal, the term we use, but it's really preparation, is because, as you said, they think it'll make them stiff. And they're right because they've tried it before. This is what they tell us. I've tried re preparing more before, like trying to <laughs> you know, remember what I was going to do. And I, and I didn't, didn't work because you know, I was really stiff. But what actually is happening when they're trying to present, if they've only done a very little bit of rehearsal, is instead of being in the moment, they're trying to recall what they did in rehearsal. And as a result, 
they feel off, they feel slow or a little disconnected and they can't respond to what's happening in the moment. And so they say, you know what? I tried the rehearsal, it doesn't work. Yeah. But actually what we need is a lot more rehearsal so that before we start, we can completely forget about everything that we worked on and allow it to come to us in the moment so it seems organic and authentic and natural and specific for the people in the room for that very moment in time based on their needs and their desires. But of course it's not, you know exactly what you're going to do Yeah, and because I, I, you prepared. And, and I think that that is always the most evident when it comes to Q and a, and I know that in working with you and your team, we spend a lot of time on how do you handle Q and a, and in each case, it's similar to the information that you've provided here, which is, come up with a story for each thing. Now I know when I'm presenting to an audience that there are a dozen questions that come up almost every time. Yep. And I can tell you that if there's a pretty good chance that my response is going to be pretty well consistent across all presentations, minus the, the slight variations in a given circumstance, but fundamentally the structure of my response is going to stay the same Yep. because, and I, because we've, we've rehearsed and we practice and we've considered what's going to be the most effective for the audience to receive this message, not just because, well, we don't want to think about the answer yeah. because we actually value the audience enough that we want to make sure they get the most out of it. It's always about the audience. It's always about the people at the other side of the table. It's never about us. It's always about them. And that's our job. So, you know, you meant, you know, we mentioned before having a story that you can use to answer you know, any uh, question you get or any objection that's raised. And sometimes you might not use a story. You might use a, a case study, which is different than a story, which sure. is different than in, um, uh, than just using an analogy. You know, so, so sometimes you will answer with information. However, if you have organized it into a bit, meaning a, a self-contained unit, so you know exactly where you start, where you're going, and where you end, uh, then it will work much better for that particular audience. And so here's what we do. When we're answering questions, let's say you have more than one pe person in the room because very often when you're selling, you've got a couple different people who are making uh, the decision. So there are, there are four elements – that we make sure we have in place when we answer a question. And if you can remember the letter R four times, you can remember this formula. So when somebody asks a question, we want to make sure we reward them. Now, that doesn't mean we toss them candies uh, or, you know, but we want to make sure that they feel that their question was not only valid, but was yep. interesting and meaningful and important Sure. And that they deserve credit for asking that question. That's number one. Now, so first we reward. Then we repeat the question. Now, you might say, well, why would you repeat the question if there's only two people in the room? Obviously, the other guy heard the question. But you want to repeat it for two reasons. Number one, because you are demonstrating to them that you understood what they want to know. And number two, it also gives the opportunity to put a slight reframe on the question if the question wasn't entirely clear, because often we'll get questions that 
and we can understand what they're trying to get at because of our experience. We have context uh, that we can add to our interpretation of their question. Sure. But they may not be exactly sure what they're asking, so it's a little bit muddy. So we can re- we can repeat it so that we make sure that we articulate it in a way that works for them and works for us. So if you can reward them and then repeat them, the third R is to relate the question back to all of them. Not just to focus on that one person, but relate to all of them. And this is even more important when you have larger groups. Sure. If you're doing any kind of presentation to a large group, when that question is asked, often people will check out because they don't think that question is relevant to them. It may be a very hyper-specific question that was asked, or the question was, as I said before, muddy. It wasn't clear. So they say, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just uh, you know, check my email while I'm waiting for the answer to be finished, and then maybe the next question will be interesting to me. Sure. So if we relate the answer to the question to the whole room, then everybody pays attention the entire time. And then the fourth R is to refine it back for the individual that asked the question. So reward, repeat, relate, and refine. And, you know, I always, I put myself on the spot very often where I say, you know, ask me any question about absolutely anything. uh, And, you know, I'll, I'll try to use this formula, even if I know nothing about that particular subject. And you'll see how well it works. Because if you can answer, if you can use it when answering a question on a topic or a subject you know nothing about, it certainly works really well when you really know a lot about that particular subject. And this just illustrates the structure and the process behind everything that you teach. So it's not some, you know, esoteric, for lack of a better term, artsy fartsy approach. It's very, it's surgical in nature in making sure that you're the most effective communicators for your audience. Exactly right. So, Michael, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about the fascinating work you're doing at Heroic Public Speaking? So, heroicpublicspeaking.com is our website. And, of course, you can reach us through there. But you can also just send us an email at questions at heroicpublicspeaking.com. Just say, hey, I heard you on Ian Altman's show. I've got a question or I want to talk to you about X. Uh, and we'd love to talk to you. So, it's heroicpublicspeaking.com and questions at HeroicPublicSpeaking.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, Michael. As always, I learned a lot. You're the best. Michael shares such amazing insight. Here's a quick 30-second recap. First, don't fall victim of that trap that people either have it or don't when it comes to performances. Every person can become better with some structure and working on your craft. The foundational five for your messages are have a big idea that has to be true, interesting, important, and gives people your worldview for them. A promise, demonstrate that you understand their current situation, then the consequence of not adopting it, and the fifth one being rewards of the new plan that you're presenting. And then when you're getting questions in a session, keep in mind this can be in a sales presentation, first you want to reward by saying, hey, I'm glad you asked that question or, or great question, which Michael will tell you why you should or shouldn't do that too. Then repeat what they said or paraphrase it, relate it to the overall audience, and then refine back to that person. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. 
And remember, pick up Michael's book, Steal the Show. It gives great insight for powerful presentations. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.